Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a championship week edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And prepping for his end-of-season banquet in the coach's office, ready to get his grub on in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, guys? I'm going to do something rare and get dressed up. Um, I'm not going to wear a tie, but I got a nice little button-down with a polo sweater and uh, some khakis and a, a nice pair of boat shoes. So I'm, I'm, I'm good to go, man. I'm ready. Uh, I'm trying to get warmed up for my speech tonight. So uh, what a better way to uh, get warmed up for my speech tonight than uh, get on here with you guys and do the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. All right. Well, uh, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce our third amigo in the second city, a man who prefers to watch movies scored by the Alloy Orchestra. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, uh, for the people that don't get that reference, check them out. Alloy Orchestra, A-L-L-O-Y. They uh, do scores to silent movies, and that is the cinematic segment of the show. All right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you outdo yourself every time. I love it. Well, we had our um, little news crossed the wire right before we started to record, so um, we're going to jump into Indiana's uh, announcement that they are firing uh, head football coach Kevin Wilson um, amid allegations of player mistreatment um, and specifically uh, rushing players back uh, after they had injuries and uh, really concerning concussions and whatnot. This comes as a little bit of a surprise, I guess, because they had had you know a successful season again, made another bowl uh, this year on the field and. But I guess, you know, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, I guess, is not able to, uh, you know, the university couldn't deal with that anymore. So, uh, you know, Josh, what do you think of the whole situation? Yeah, I mean, this is stunning. Just um, first of all, from the football standpoint, everyone around the Big Ten has noticed Indiana's uptick in play. He got the Hoosiers to their second straight bowl game this year. This is the first time since 1991 that they've been in back-to-back bowl games. He's the second coach in program history to take the team to multiple bowl games, joining uh, Bill Mallory, who was awesome in the mid-'80s and early-'90s. Um, so th- this is this is jarring because this is a program that is on the uptake, and we don't know what this will do for them to, to build this thing back up and, and – become a competent football program. My, my biggest concern is, um, you know, did Kevin Wilson get due process? Because um, if he, if it's true what he did, that's deplorable. And you know my opinion on this, he shouldn't coach again. But as we've seen with Jim Levitt and to a lesser extent, Mike Leach, um, actually flip those because Mike Leach is, is more gray area, but um, there have been times where the allegations sound terrible, and then once it's all figured out, 
in like the Mike Leach situation, turned out that Adam James and Craig James made up a lot of the stuff. And it would be unfortunate to have someone's career derailed by student athletes who, for whatever reason, don't like their coach anymore and make some stuff up. And prior to the whole Adam James fiasco, I think all three of us would blindly trust the kids because why would you make up a lie like that? But since then, it's tough to know all the things that are going on in the background. So I I really hope that um, for Indiana's sake and for Coach Wilson's sake and for those five student athletes who are alleging the mistreatment, I hope that everyone has their ducks in a row and that no one is lying in this situation and and everything can just come out clean because it, it would be terrible to have another Mike Leach situation where it turns out that it's total BS, but we'll see. Uh, Coach, what kind of guy do you think that uh, that Indiana is going to be going after for that position? Well, they're going to go after somebody that's going to have better PR reputation. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt them. Trying so, Art Bryles is out. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> Art Bryles is out. Uh, I, I think uh, the guy that was at Central Michigan, uh, I can't remember his name now. That that was uh, allegedly uh, mistreating players, but. No, it was uh, Illinois, Tim Beckman. I don't think he's in the, in the running either. But, uh, you know, a, a name that's been surfacing a lot lately is uh, Willie Taggart. Um, he's, his name has come up at Oregon, so I wouldn't be surprised if they reached out to him. I wouldn't be surprised if they reached out um, to Lincoln Riley. I wouldn't be surprised if they reached out. I don't know if Lane Kiffin is, is uh, a good PR move there, but – um, at least they're going to put the feelers out and and, uh, and uh, reach out to them or or just have them as a possibility. Uh, Les Miles, who's in the running at uh, – I think he's emerged as one of the lead candidates at Houston. His name could could surface. I know he was uh, once a candidate at Purdue. Um, he's no longer uh, being considered at Purdue, uh, or either that or he dropped out. I'm not sure exactly what uh, what the story is there. But um, he could he could come and, uh, and keep that program – going in an upward uh, fashion. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys emerged as candidates. Um, I would go after um, a, a, a head coach from a lower program, a proven head coach from a lower program, and, and, and see what I could get. Maybe a P.J. Fleck would be perfect at Indiana. Um, and this is, you know, P.J. Fleck, I think, wants to get in the Big Ten. I would, I would go after him first. He'd be number one on my list, and then I'd go on down. Yeah, I feel like would be a great option for both players involved, I would imagine. But you brought up Lincoln Riley, which I think is an interesting name to see if they would go back to the Oklahoma well for the second time in a row in terms of getting their head coach there in Bloomington. Well, I think one, uh, I think one interesting coach to maybe keep an eye on is uh, Mark Stoops. He, he's done really well at Kentucky. Kentucky's very similar to Indiana in terms of basketball school and mixed football success, to put it generously. Um, but Mark Stoops, born and raised in Ohio, played in Iowa, Big Ten ties. Um, he might, might be intrigued. It's certainly worth a look. Uh, I would say, though, that the Big Ten West is probably a lot harder to win than the SEC East, so that's something that you would have to consider. But um, just spitballing. 
Yeah, that, uh, that, that's interesting. I would imagine that would be perceived pretty much as a lateral move at best, especially after Kentucky coming off of a 7-5 and five season and upsetting Louisville in the last week. You would, I would imagine that, you know, he could, I, I imagine that he would use that as leverage more likely to re-up yeah. with Kentucky than he would actually depart Lexington for the Hoosiers. What about Troy Calhoun? I've, I've heard his name uh, early on uh, service in some of these coaching searches like Purdue and uh, some of the earlier ones that fired their coach. Uh, He'd be an interesting fit at Purdue, I think. Yeah. But, um, I think. Well, we will definitely be having a coaching carousel special coming out for you guys sometime in the next week or two. But for today, we need to uh, keep moving on. And we're just going to uh, – Josh, I know you had a couple of – uh, issues or bones to pick with the latest uh, F uh, with the latest playoff ranking. So I wanted to know sort of what were, what were your big issues with this latest set of rankings that came out this past Tuesday? My biggest issue, and the, the committee will have a chance to fix this because they say they throw out the rankings and redo them each week, but I have a real hard time with Michigan, especially a team that, unlike Ohio State, isn't co-division champions. Uh, the Big Ten will award both Ohio State and Penn State as co-champions, but Penn State gets to play in the title game because they're head-to-head win. But So you have Michigan, who wasn't even co-champs, their division. You have Michigan, who um, has lost twice in the last three weeks, and yet people are talking about USC as, oh, look how much they improved. Well, it can go both ways. If that's a benchmark you care about, improvement over the course of the year, Michigan's gone the opposite way. Uh, Michigan is banged up, and that matters in the college basketball tournament. If a team is 25-5, and five, but their best player gets hurt in the conference tournament, they're not going to be a one seed. They'll probably fall down to a three or a four. Well, Michigan has a lot of injuries, including unknown about how good Wilton's speed is. And Lastly, they lost to an Iowa team. I know they have some nice wins, but they lost to a very mediocre Iowa team, which goes to show that they have a fundamental problem, and they can't win on the road. They have one road win outside of the state of Michigan, and that is Rutgers. Their other true road trips, leaving the borders of Michigan, they lost to Iowa, and they lost to Ohio State. And... As Coach will attest, road trips aren't just the road crowd. It's travel. It's staying in a hotel. There's more that goes into it. Michigan should not be in the tournament if there's mayhem. That's my big concern is with Michigan. My second concern is Ohio State. I know they have a fantastic resume, but think about baseball back in the glory days. I'll give you a scenario. You have a 100-win Yankee team that goes 0-10 against the Red Sox. And then you have the Red Sox with 99 wins, and they go 10-0 against the New York Yankees. In the National League, let's take the Red Sox, or the, the Cardinals. Say the Cardinals win 90 games. Well, by that measure, if you go head-to-head, the Red Sox should be in it. But that's not how it works. The Yankees won their division. Cardinals won their division. That's the World Series. That's the point of the regular season. 
giving a blank check to Ohio State and say, well, I test says we're the best. But if they were the best, they wouldn't have lost to Penn State. And for the people that say the tournament was going to devalue the regular season, this is the case. This is the case right here. And I'm just really, really upset that people are saying Ohio State's a lot. Ohio State needs to be weighed this time next week when we know all the conference champions. They don't have that benchmark, and that shouldn't matter. Otherwise, what the hell is the point of playing a conference tournament or a conference title game? What the hell is the point of playing the regular season? I hate it. Yeah, I don't it's, – it's a very frustrating year this year with all of the politicking that's been going on as well. Uh, you know, people are saying that it is a unique case because of the strength at the top of the Big Ten. But a couple of years ago, I mean, we had strength at the top of the SEC that was very similar, but still we had, you know, four conference champions in the playoff. So, you know, there was a way to sort it out and a way to figure it out. And I, I'm hoping that conference championships do matter, or else what's the point of playing the game? You know? Well, that, that's one of the things. There were a lot of nails in the coffin for uh, the BCS. But that one was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, is when you had LSU win the SEC and the rematch with Alabama, and Alabama won it. And a lot of people didn't think Alabama deserved to be in that game. And a lot of people were kind of like, what the hell is the point of playing 12 regular season games if the computer can just randomly pick Alabama? That's going to happen with college football playoff. And, and until they move to an eight-team playoff. Yeah. I would even, I would even go as far as a six, like do like the NFL. Um, I would disband – well, first of all, I'd disband the Big 12 and send all those schools to other conferences – have four major conferences. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the American? Are you kidding me? West Virginia would fit in perfectly there. Yeah. And I, I would say, I mean, I would even say you have your six teams, four division champions, and two wild cards, and then you have your group of five side, the same thing, and then, bam, you play each other, and then have, a, like, the mega ultimate uh, college football playoff. Or either that or, or do like high school does and have – two separate brackets and have two separate champions, a group of five and a power five. Is how yeah, I yeah. I mean, that would be, that would be really nice, but the only place we're getting a bracket right now in football is FCS, which is uh, my well, favorite. The, the last thing I wanted to say though about it, the college football playoffs is I'm concerned about the lack of transparency. It is exclusively televised on ESPN. It's, an ESPN brand, it's an ESPN playoff, it, it behooves ESPN to get the biggest names out there. And we saw it with TCU and Ohio State. I don't believe for a minute that Ohio State deserves to be in the tournament, even though they won the title and even though I'm a Big Ten blogger. TCU was ranked well ahead of them, won their conference, and dominated – Iowa State, at the same time Ohio State dominated Wisconsin. How did they go from three to five? Other than they're a tiny private school that is overshadowed in their own state by Texas and Texas A&M, and Ohio State is the Ohio State. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's 
it's a very, you know, it, it's a very confusing process if you're looking on it from the outside. I know, obviously, as someone who's invested in Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez is on the, is on the committee. But my understanding of the rules is that Barry is not allowed to be in the room when they are discussing Wisconsin. Yeah. But how can, but how, but if, but like if they're discussing Wisconsin, how can they properly, how, how can he, he has to have, give his opinion at some point about, you know, where he feels yeah. that they fall. And so. the Clemson athletic director is also on it. So there are two people that have to recuse themselves. Yeah. Like, what's the point? So, well, we need to move on to the actual uh, bracket going on in Division One right now down in FCS. So I'm just going to take us uh, on a, a quick run through uh, this weekend's round two matchups. If you guys have anything to add, uh, don't hesitate to jump on in. But we will start at the top where number one, North Dakota State, takes on San Diego, who probably won the biggest upset of round one when they beat Cal Poly 35 to 21. But let's no, make no mistake about it. The non-scholarship Toreros don't stand a chance against uh, five-time reigning, the five-time reigning champion Bison. Uh, number two, Eastern Washington is hosting Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas beat Illinois State 31-24 last weekend, but they're going to have a much tougher time with the Eagles passing attack, which is number one overall in FCS. Number three, Jacksonville State will take on Polini's Penguins of Youngstown State in what is sure to be a ground battle. Both teams rank in the top 10, pretty much every rushing statistic in FCS. So I'm expecting a very quick moving game in a low scoring affair. Pop quiz, Josh, what state is Jacksonville State in? Well, I think most people would say Florida, but uh, I'm going to go off the ball and say they're from South Carolina. They are from Alabama. Oh, I told you to pick me. I told you to pick me. I had the answer. I went to a baseball camp at Jacksonville State. <laughs> okay, Coach, what conference do they play in? <laughs> they play in Big South. Josh? The, they play in the SOCON. You're both wrong. They play in the Ohio Valley Conference. Oh, um, so, um, which, you know, you don't want really to think no. of – uh, Jacksonville, Alabama in the Ohio Valley, but somehow it works out. Well, it's um, a big valley. So, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, my home state, New Hampshire Wildcats, are heading to Harrisburg, Harrisonburg, Virginia, to battle the number four uh, James Madison Dukes in what will probably be the most competitive game of the weekend. Uh, you know, both teams are very well balanced. UNH has a lot of experience they've been to the playoff many times had a very strong fcs program for a while now james madison has a high functioning offense and defense and they really swarm to the ball they've got a lot of really really good athletes under recruited guys uh especially from that the tidewater area in virginia they are have definitely been making a name for themselves and have had a really nice season so far. Uh, number five seed Sam Houston State Bearcats with a K and their 54-plus point-per-game offense are hosting the mocks of Chattanooga. Um, while Chattanooga does statistically have one of the top passing defenses in the country, the Bearcats are unbelievably prolific, and they're led by quarterback Jeremiah Briscoe, who leads the nation in yards and touchdowns this season. And I think they'll be able to come uh, away with that one. But, Coach, I know you're excited about this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about uh, the Mocs having a, a couple NFL prospects, uh, Corey, Le Corey Levin and 
at left guard, Keontae Davis at defensive end. Uh, they're, they're expected to put a lot of pressure on Sam Houston State uh, as far as the offensive attack goes. Uh, Coach, we, we seem to have lost you there. So I'm going to keep uh, moving on uh, where uh, undefeated in FCS Citadel is seated sixth. And they're taking on Wofford. And, uh, and actually, uh, Wofford had a really close call last weekend against Charleston Southern. But they won a nail-biter 15-14 to 14 in the first round. This game, though, is a Southern Conference rematch from October 22nd where the Citadel Bulldogs went on the road to beat the Terriers 27-24. to 24. With the game back in Charleston this weekend, I expect the triple option attack of the Citadel to keep it moving on the ground and come away with a two-score victory. The Richmond spot. Uh, this one is really interesting, though, to me, because, like, like you said, Wofford battled the Citadel really well earlier in the season. And when we were talking about this a couple shows ago, uh, Wofford was one of the teams that I highlighted that had to play the opening round of the tournament. To, to keep an eye on that, they might be able to put something together. We don't see too many unseated teams make a run, but Wofford knows the Citadel pretty well. And then maybe they can get something going against Jackson State or Youngstown State the next round. Who knows? But keep an eye on these Terriers. The crazy thing about the Terriers is that they played uh, they played Charleston Southern last weekend, so this is two straight conference games to open the FCS playoffs for them. Well, that's why, that's why I think Wofford has to – well, honestly, the winner – of this game has to love their chances against Youngstown or Jacksonville State because that conference with Citadel, Wofford, Charleston Southern, it's one of the powers. So they have to feel confident that they could go against anybody in the FCS tournament. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, whoever comes out of that sort of little group is definitely going to be posed to make a big run. Um, but, well, we got to keep going on. The number uh, seven, uh, sorry, the Richmond Spiders are fresh off of a dominant performance over North Carolina A&T last weekend. But they had to Grand Forks to take on the number seven uh, North Dakota Fighting Hawks. They will have, but the, the home team here will have a lot to handle with Richmond's well-balanced squad, who I actually believe is better in pretty much every single department than North Dakota. The weather and home uh, and home field advantage are going to be really big factors in this game. It's supposed to be about 30 degrees at game time, but without any snow, I still like the Spiders on the road and what would be a quasi-upset. Yeah, North Dakota is a really nice story, but um, they're in a little bit easier conference than their, their in-state uh, foe, North Dakota State. Uh, they're out in that Western Conference, the but is it the big sky, I want to say? And, uh, and North Dakota State's in the Missouri Valley. That's why that's why UND is such a lower seed despite winning their, their conference. But uh, but Richmond is in that powerhouse that we've talked about before, the, the Colonial and some of the Eastern conferences just put so many teams in the playoffs um, that they're upsets by seed. But for those of us that really follow – FCS, we wouldn't be terribly surprised. No. And then finally, the number eight South Dakota State Jackrabbits are hosting a Villanova squad who have one of the top defenses in FCS, but they have to contend with Jackrabbit quarterback Taron Christian, who is an absolute beast. He's got his work cut out for him against Villanova, and they're very, very stingy pass D. Um, but I still think that the Jackrabbits, coming from a really strong um, MVC, should be able to win at home uh, against the Wildcats. And they're hungry, too. They want to play North Dakota State again. They upset 
Bison in Fargo earlier in the season. Uh, this, I, I would say the best analogy that I can make is if, the, if we had a playoff system, this would be like Michigan an opportunity to play Ohio State again in the tournament in Columbus. So that's the motivation that the Jackrabbits have. Uh, this is a tough draw for Villanova, who's a nice team, but they have to face a superior team that's going to be really, really hungry. That's not a great recipe for success. I, I'm I'm always a little bit bitter that the Ivy League doesn't allow their teams to go in the playoff because this year's Princeton squad is super talented. They have a quarterback who leads uh, who leads FCS in total touchdowns on the ground. And do you know why? Do you know why they do that? I know they cite academics, academics. but they're that, but they're, ho- but they're hockey programs play in the playoffs and so are their basketball programs. I it, I guess they think of football as a different beast. I, I've never quite understood it either, but I guess they think that it competes with exams uh, too much. Well, most schools are on breaks right now. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, SCS goes on break too. I mean, they, they play all they can until finals, and then they pick up with the semifinals and finals after Christmas break. So I don't know why, the, I don't know why uh, FBS can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I've, I've yet to figure it out, but. They play bowl games over Christmas and stuff. I mean, it's it's not like they couldn't do it. Yeah, so they just don't want to. It's a money maker. Yeah, I I, I don't quite get it. But we need to move on uh, to a couple non championship games this weekend. The biggest of which is obviously Bedlam, which is serving as the de facto Big Twelve championship game in Norman. Uh, Big Bob and his Sooners are taking on my boy Mike Gundy. Um, I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you guys. I still don't quite trust this Oklahoma team. Um, even though they really worked over West Virginia a couple weeks ago, their defense still gives me pause. I've, and you know what? I'm, uh, I always ride with Gundy. He's, he's my guy completely inexplicably, but even more so this year. And because I really, I'm a true believer in Mason Rudolph. Uh, he, th- this guy has really impressed me this season. He's matured in a big way still only a sophomore. It's the Big 12. Obviously, we're going to see a lot of points scored. But the key unit in this game, in my opinion, is the Pokes' defensive line and whether they're going to be able to, they're going to, be able to contain the Sooners' rushing attack. Uh, P. Ryan and Mason, attorneys at law, are the best one-two running back combo in the country, in my opinion, with uh, a, a head nod to um, the duo at LSU, Fournette and Geis. But, Josh, uh, how do you see a Bedlam playing out this year? Well, I think you, you hit the nail right there on the head with, with Oklahoma. They're the better team. They should win. They have as good a quarterback as Mason Rudolph. I think a lot of people would say even better. They have better running backs, I think most people would say. But there's so many concerns. Their, their defense has been... <clears throat> improved the last few weeks. But for the season, the entire sample size, it's pathetic. So will they come up in the clutch in their rivalry game? I think the fact that it's in Norman, I'm going to ride with the Sooners, but they have they have real concerns. And I know the last time they played someone really good was West Virginia, and they, they dominated that game, but... The last time they played someone really good that 
we have a better grasp on in terms of not a Big 12 featherweight is Ohio State, and they got rolled in that one. So neither team is going to make the playoffs, but Oklahoma has some real concerns, and, and you highlighted them, Matt. Yeah. So, uh, Coach, how do you feel about Bedlam? Uh, I think Coach is still having some uh, connectivity issues. Oh, I'm back. Oh. I, I, I just muted myself. Can oh. you hear me? <laughs> yes, we got you, Coach. I just muted my microphone so I, so I could uh, – I was uh, typing. But, no, I, I think it's going to be uh, extremely competitive. I mean, like, like every year, it doesn't matter how bad Oklahoma State is or how bad Oklahoma could be. Um, this game's always competitive. Uh, this is one of those – definitely one of those throw the record out – out the window games. But when you look at it objectively uh, and you look at the numbers, I mean, you have to look at P Ryan and Mixon uh, attorneys at law. They, uh, you know, they, they're so good in the running game um, offensively. I think, you know, you got to give the nod to, uh, to Oklahoma there. Baker Mayfield versus Mason Rudolph, a great quarterback duel, probably the best, not a chance at the playoff uh, non-championship game uh, matchup. That's going to be, Interesting is is that quarterback matchup right there. Uh, defensively, I think you got to look at both teams. They're a push. Um, you know, you have uh, you know just talent all across the board on both sides. Um, for Oklahoma State, you have your defensive line bolstered by Vincent Taylor, um, and then you have your backfield bolstered by Jordan Stearns. Um, of course, you got to look at hashtag year of the third phase. Oklahoma State is going to have the advantage there. Uh, Zach Siner and and uh, and kicker Ben Grogan are two of the better specialists in this conference. So um, you know you got to look at that as, as a potential weapon for uh, for Oklahoma State. Uh, you know you have Lincoln Riley, who's uh, you know if you look at coaching, um, you know he's going to be going up against uh, a great Cowboys defense. And uh, you know they uh, last year they they took it to him fifty eight twenty three in Stillwater. Um, so Oklahoma State's going to come in with that revenge factor. So but the one thing that concerns me is, is what Josh uh, brought up. He stole my thunder a little bit there, which is uh, the Ohio State game and, and just how bad Oklahoma can be at times. And then you look at other games and just see how good they can be um, at times. And, you know, if you look at the West Virginia game. So, I mean, it just doesn't – you just never know which Oklahoma you're going to get. If you get good Oklahoma – Oklahoma State's going to get blown out of the water, and it's not even going to be a contest. If you get bad Oklahoma, I think it's going to be a competitive game, and Oklahoma State's going to win. But I don't think Oklahoma State's going to blow out Oklahoma. I think if there's going to be a blowout, it's going to be Oklahoma uh, blowing out the Pokes and and, uh, not vice versa. So uh, it'll be an interesting game, I think, but these defenses and special teams will decide it for sure. Yeah, Coach coach said that – you can throw out the records when these teams play. And I know Oklahoma State wants to throw out the all-time record. They played 110 games. Does anyone want to guess the, the head-to-head matchup? 84-22-4 or something like that. That's pretty close. 85-18-7. Wow. I will take my guess on that one. That was, uh, that was pretty close. Um, well, one of the final things I wanted to say about this game, you remember the Ohio State game in Norman, Ohio State got up early, and that crowd went silent. Oklahoma State's going to have to try to do the exact same thing, um, get a couple quick scores early, which we know they can do. And 
you know, try to take the Oklahoma crowd out of it because this Oklahoma team actually has played much better away from home this year than they have at home. And if the crowd gets, you know, worried and quiet early, uh, that's when New Mexico State really might be able to take the upper hand. Um, are, there, are there any of these other games, uh, non-championship games from this weekend that you guys want to talk about? Well, I, I was just going to touch. Oh, go ahead, touch. I was going to say, uh, the only one that interests me is Georgia Southern and Troy. I think it's just kind of an interesting matchup. Uh, two teams that uh, ran into Arkansas State at the wrong time and, and kind of got their confidence uh, knocked down a little bit by uh, by Arkansas State. But it will be an interesting game there. Troy's extremely talented, and Georgia Southern plays well at times. So I think that'll be kind of a good uh, group of five, good Sun Belt game to watch if uh, – if you uh, if you want to do the dual TV thing, but other otherwise, I think the, the I think Bedlam kind of leads that path. Josh, I was actually going to go with the Sun Belt as well for a different reason. Uh, Arkansas State travels to Texas State. Um, Bobcats have had a long year; they're zero and seven in the league. Uh, an Arkansas State win means that they will be uh, co-champions of App State. Neither of them played each other because the Sun Belt has a weird schedule, um, so there would be a co-champ. And uh, Troy, if they win their game at Georgia Southern, which they probably should, but they'll be rooting real hard for the Bobcats because if Texas State somehow pulls off that upset, Troy would be your Sun Belt champions uh, thanks to their head-to-head win over the Mountaineers. That is a very, very strange scenario um then in the way that all the tiebreakers work out in that league so uh i you know yeah definitely have your eye on the belt this weekend um well let's keep it uh, rolling here to a couple slant and goes is what we're going to call them on some of the smaller title games and we're going to start in the mac and josh uh you love maction more than the rest of us so i'm gonna let you take a stab at this well this one's pretty simple um western michigan scores more points, they give up fewer points, they have more passing yards, they have more running yards per game. Uh, when you look at head-to-head opponents, Western Michigan beat all of them by more and lost to none of them. Uh, Ohio lost to a couple head-to-head matchups, uh, Central Michigan and Eastern Michigan. So Western should roll. They should dominate. Uh, but Ohio's, I'm going to give a sliver of a chance, and I'm picking the Broncos, obviously, but I said that Western Michigan gives up fewer points than the Bobcats, and that is true. But the Bobcats, nothing to sneeze about defensively. They give up under 22 points per game. They're 22nd nationally. Uh, and when they've won Sun, or when they've won MAC games, they've won pretty ugly. They, they scrappled with Akron to a 9-3 victory. They uh, went to Kent State, won 14-10, won 17-7 over Miami of Ohio. When their defense is flying around, making plays, tackling well, uh, the Bobcats have a fighting chance. And don't forget their coach, Frank Sivilich. He has seen a lot more football. He's been a big underdog, way, way more than P.J. Flack has been a big favorite. Um, I think Western will win. I'm pretty sure they will. They, they have all the advantages, and Zach Terrell is the best quarterback in the league. They also have an absurd running tandem. Um, so the Broncos should win, but don't count out the scrappy Bobcats. They could surprise you. 
Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Western Michigan is the big, big favorite in this one. Um, but do you have anything uh, you want to add uh, to the Conference USA title game, Josh? Well, yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting rematch because they played earlier in the year. Louisiana Tech won it 55-52. Expect another super high-scoring game. Both these teams can score in bunches. They are almost identical um, in terms of the season. Very, very similar constructed teams. And like I said, they played an absolute barn burner earlier in the year. I'm very, very curious about it. I have a feeling Western Kentucky is going to win. They played a little bit tougher division, and they are the type of team that's really, really hard to beat them twice. And uh, Tech has had an incredible season, and Skip Holtz is doing some really, really nice things there, uh, erasing a lot of his South Florida mistakes, returning to what he was doing well at East Carolina. But um, – I just would not want to try and beat that that Hilltopper team twice in a year. That that offense is incredible, and you know Brom will have some wrinkles for it. Coach, you got anything to add on those games? All right. Um, in that case, I will head on to the American. And Wait, I'm, I'm I'm here. Sorry, Coach. Um, you got anything to add to the Mac or CUSA title games? No, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be definitely a showcase for P.J. Fleck. I think it's going to kind of see what he's got um, as far as, uh, you know, how, how he can uh, play in this big game. And then Louisiana Tech, Western Kentucky, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those where I, I just – I don't see any situation where Western doesn't control this game from start to finish. Yeah, it's – Western Western really should should dominate this one. The American Conference, though, uh, the championship game this weekend, uh, Temple is making the two-and-a-half-hour drive down to Annapolis, where the Middies are favored at home by three. Some people might think, though, that the best team in the American isn't even playing in this game. That's how Florida Bulls team is, uh, you know, as we have seen, is something special. But they lost it. Temple head-to-head this year, finished with identical records. Temple is representing um, – is representing the East. Um, but Temple, you know, really quietly has been uh, excellent this season. They're 11-1 and one against the spread. And they have a defense that is really strong against the rush uh, to go along with a balanced attack on offense. And uh, for that reason, you know, they, uh, th- they have really long, sustained drives. They're third in the country in average of time of in terms of time of possession per game behind just Arkansas and Wisconsin. I really like Temple in this spot. And we all know that the Bulls are dying for Ken Niamatololo's squad to lose. They don't have to wait a week until after the Army-Navy game to make uh, to see if they're going to be in a New Year's Six game uh, or if it's going to be Western Michigan as the representative from the group of five. So I, I really like Temple in this spot. Uh, I think they're going to win by. I think they're going to win by about ten or so. Uh, Josh, do you, do you have any insights there on the American? Well, I think that's a nice upset special. I love what Matt Rule is doing um, again. Back to back seasons, they have the tenth best defense when you look at points against, just seventeen point eight. Uh, one thing that's curious, and I know Tulane doesn't run quite the exact same option, and they certainly don't have as good of players as Navy. But 
couple weeks ago, down in New Orleans, Temple played Willie Fritz's option attack two-lane team and shut them out 31-0. Uh, that would certainly give me pause for concern if I'm a midshipman fan, if I'm on Niamata Lolo's staff. Uh, um, so Temple is, is going to tango with them. And I don't think many people are necessarily expecting that. And I think people don't realize how quietly Temple has won six straight games because you mentioned it, South Florida gets so much buzz by being 10-2 and two that the Owls are just quietly going about their business. They also hung with Penn State and Memphis. Uh, Memphis is a nice bowl-bound team. Penn State obviously played in the title game. And uh, I know the Owls got bushwhacked to start the season 28-13 against Army, another team that runs the option. But that, that two-lane game tells me that they have figured th- some things out defensively and won't be as surprised by what Navy's throwing at them. Um, I personally am going to ride with the midshipmen because I like chaos, and I hope that the committee, because as you can tell from the opening segment, I'm not too keen on the playoffs this year. So I am hoping that Navy wins to screw with these stupid bulls. Coach? <laughs> well, uh, if, you know, Temple – and Navy have both got it rolling. If you look at Navy's game last week, they amassed over 600 yards of total offense, scored 75 points on Chad Morse's SMU team. Chad Morse got in a contract extension even after that game, which is, you know, pretty impressive. I guess they figured out that, uh, that Navy was just on a roll and there, there wasn't a whole lot uh, they could do. I think, that's um, the, I think he's the first coach to ever get an extension after giving up 70. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I think it's uh, – they just – and then that's not the only game that they've that they've ran it up like that. I mean, you you would think that they were completely rebuilding after uh, losing Keenan Reynolds, but it seems like they just keep on crushing. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm excited about this game. Uh, but for Temple, you know, you always got to contain Jihad Thomas, which is tied uh, for seventh in the uh, American with rushing and an average of 85 yards per game. Uh, he's always a tough runner there. Um, Rockwell Armstead, Armstead, uh, I think I said that right. Uh, so they have a pretty good one-two punch right there. And, and, and the stat was brought up by, uh, I think it was Josh, when he talked about uh, Temple traveling down to Tulane. Uh, Tulane is about as modern of a flexible and triple option team as you can get with Willie Fritz. Um, they do triple option stuff, but it looks totally different, but it's the same base concept. So, uh, that doesn't bode well for Temple in that rule, but I'm sure they'll have a game plan for it, and uh, they'll they'll be ready, and maybe you'll be ready, and it'll be an exciting game to watch. Yeah, it definitely will be. Uh, you know, one of the better games I think this weekend, one of the more closely contested games. Another good one though is another rematch, Coach, and that's out in the Mountain West, which I know you've got your eye on. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Wyoming, San Diego State. San Diego State looking at its chops after the Fighting Bobos came through and, and put one on. Um, they they lost sixty three to thirty one, uh, and you know it just it was one of those things where uh, Donnell Pumphrey was able to be held in check. He only had fifty three rushing yards and a touchdown on eighteen carries last week, and you know it seemed like Colorado State found an answer. So I, I don't know about. You know, San Diego State came back down to earth a little bit. Um, but, you know, as always, Donald Pumphrey's a special runner. So if he gets going, watch out. 
Uh, the Lobos, uh, actually, the Lobos took it to Wyoming last week, 56-35. to So both teams kind of taking one on the chin last week. Both teams kind of licking their, licking their wounds uh, from a, a regular season, tough regular season finale week. And, you know, I just got to look at some of the matchups here. You got Donnell Pomfrey uh, for San Diego State. You got to contain him for, for uh, I keep wanting to say the Lobos because I see this in the, in the, in my uh, notes that they got beat by the Lobos, but, um, but they need to get more production out of Josh Allen for, for the Cowboys. Uh, he was 18 of 28 for 248 yards, but he was not able to find the end zone last week. He's got to get going. They've got to do what they do. What, what they did so well against Boise State was Josh Allen was able to distribute the ball around. They, they were able to run with Brian Hill a little bit to kind of to kind of free up uh, to kind of free up Allen. So if Brian Hill can't get enough space, he doesn't need to have a huge game, but he just needs to. He just needs to, you know, get close to that 100-yard mark and just kind of free up opportunities for Josh Allen. Now, San Diego State has a stingy defense. Uh, again, uncharacteristically giving up, giving up uh, 63 points a week ago. Uh, I don't think you'll see that again this week. I think both teams will be extremely focused. It'll be, again, I keep saying this, but with championship week, usually I'm spot on when I say this game will be competitive. Um, look for the quarterback matchups. Uh, to kind of make the difference because I think both teams run the ball real well. Obviously, San Diego State runs the ball a little bit more, uh, a little bit better than Wyoming. But Brian Hill is a, is, a, is a great back too, and you can't discount him. So it'll be a good rushing matchup. But the quarterbacks are really going to make a difference and, uh, in this game. And I think the edge kind of goes to Josh Allen. But we'll see kind of how San Diego State game plans against him. Uh, they will kind of fort, they will stop the run. The, their, their primary goal is going to be to limit Brian Hill and make Josh Allen beat them through the air. And if he can't get a rhythm going like he did against Boise State, then they're in trouble. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this one. Um, I think San Diego State's going to win a barn burn. I think it's going to be kind of like a 38-35 type game uh, where it kind of comes down to the wire. Yeah, it'll, you know, it should be fun. It's the games out in Laramie. So that's always, uh, you know, an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting turn when you, when it's at someone's home field. So Josh, you got anything to add on Mount West? Well, the one thing that's curious to me is uh, Wyoming has 116th worst pass defense in the country. And when they met earlier in the year, uh, Aztec quarterback, Christian Chapman had a really nice game, 15 of 26, 211 yards, uh, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, but it wasn't enough to win. And Coach mentioned some of the defensive issues that SDSU has had the last two weeks. They gave up 34 to the Pokes. They gave up 63 to Colorado State. It's 97 points in two weeks. So we know Pumphrey is incredible, but – he needs his quarterback to deliver a performance like he did on the 19th, which was really good in the losing effort. And Rocky Long's defense has got to play better. And it's that simple. We'll see if they can do it. Um, San Diego State is favored for a reason. I am probably going to ride with the Aztecs because despite the weird stumble here at the end of the season and despite their head-scratching loss that remains one of the most baffling moments of the year out at South Alabama. I, I, the proof is more in the pudding of San Diego state. I think they find a way to win, but man, that defense has been terrible the last two weeks. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's also very rare that you see a conference championship game between two teams that are coming off of losses. So it's you know blowout losses at that. Yeah, exactly. So that that is a, a definitely a unique wrinkle on that. But it's time for us to head uh, to the big boys, and we are going to start with the biggest boy, Alabama, in the SEC title game, heading down Coach Jolt's stomping grounds at the George Dome, um, where they take on the Florida Gators. I've never seen a spread of 24 points in a championship game before, but Alabama is favored by 24. And you know what? If I were a betting man, I would probably roll with the tide here. So, Coach, I'll let you break it down a little bit more. But is there any way that Florida can pull this off? I don't think so. I mean, I think Alabama is just they're – so, they're so good defensively. I mean, you have Jonathan Allen, who's among the five Walter Camp Player of the Year finalists. He's the only defensive player – on that list, he has seven sacks and two fumble return touchdowns. Uh, just an absolute beast in the middle. Uh, also, uh, a note: this will be the last SEC championship in the Georgia Dome. They'll uh, move over next door to uh, the Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium after that. So, uh, Alabama, what they bring in? Uh, they've won 24 games in a row. Um, they're the only undefeated team from a major conference, um, and whether they lose or not, uh, they should be a shoe in for. Uh, the playoff, which, again, uh, we're not going to circle back around to that argument. But um, Jim McElwain des- described game planning for this as giving him nightmares. Um, he said part of that uh, – I'm trying to look for his quote. I'm trying to look at his quote here, and I'm like uh, I'm, I'm lost in my own words here. But um, he said it was a nightmare to, to game plan against because they're so good everywhere. Minka Fitzpatrick, he has four interceptions on the season – uh, you have, you know, Marlon Humphrey, who's out. Uh, Tony Brown got injured in the, in the Iron Bowl, so he'll kind of be not at full speed. So they got some question marks in the secondary is the only reason I'm giving Florida even a slight puncher's chance. Uh, Jalen Hurts, um, he's accounted for 32 total touchdowns, 20 through the air, 12 on the ground. Uh, and he's passed for 2,400 yards and rushing for almost 1,000 at 840, so he's a huge weapon, but he's a freshman, and he still makes freshman mistakes through two through two of his interceptions last week in the Iron Bowl on two pretty bad decisions, and and uh, one of them was just a bad decision, bad throw, uh, all mixed into one, and and, and Auburn uh, unfortunately couldn't take advantage of it. But you know, when you look at the defense, uh, they rank first nationally in scoring defense at 11.4 points per game ranked uh, first nationally in total defense at 246.8 yards per game and same ranking with rushing defense at 68.7. So if you think you're going to do anything on this, on this uh, defense, if you think you're going to get any sort of drive going, you better be patient. Um, now, Florida. Florida comes in ranked fifth in scoring defense at 14.6 and sixth in total defense at 291.9. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is they'll be out. They'll be without six starters. They uh, they they're coming into this contest without Jared Davis, uh, Alex Anzalone at linebacker, uh, junior defensive end Jordan Sherritt, and senior safety Marcus May. Uh, sophomore quarterback Luke, Luke Del Rio uh, will be available if uh, if needed, but Austin Appleby will get the start. Um, running back Jordan Scarlett um, is uh, is going to be heavily leaned on here. Um, He's only rushed for seven seventy-eight and six touchdowns. Um, they have uh, they have a lot of trouble offensively still. That's been their kind of uh, 
ever since Urban Meyer left, they hired Muschamp, and, and McElwain's gotten it going a little bit, but he's still not quite there yet. So they just have so many issues and so many injuries around uh, that I just don't see them – I don't see them really competing in this game. I, I think maybe the first half – uh, while Alabama's kind of trying to settle in the game and try to figure out their secondary situation, Jalen Hurts is going to going to throw a really bad interception in the first quarter, I think. And uh, but Minka Fitzpatrick will make up for it as he always does. Um, so I, I don't I, I see them covering the spread. Um, I think it's going to be somewhere in the tune of I don't know forty one to ten. I I think it's Alabama's going to run away with it. Um, couple couple. Uh, couple of uh, fun facts before we go. Uh, this is the ninth time Alabama and Florida uh, face each other in an SEC championship game. Uh, both teams won four of the previous matchups, um, so their, their record is dead even. Um, Ryan Anderson of Alabama uh, at a team best 16.5, and Tim Williams at 15 have combined for 31.5 tackles for loss. Um, and Florida wide receiver Antonio Callaway, um, he leads the team with 46 percent, 43 receptions and 603 yards. Um, but he's the second, but the second of his two receiving tours came on September 10th. So talk about a drought, um, as far as reaching the end zone for Antonio Callaway. So those are a few fun facts there. And of course, the one I told you, uh, this is the last game in this building of the, of the SEC championship. Wow. Coach, that is, uh, an enormously detailed, uh, preview. Josh, you got anything to add to that? Well, I totally agree that Alabama is a heavy, heavy favorite, and I like that 41-10 to 10 score, but I'm going to be a devil's advocate just real quick. Uh, last year, Florida looked like an absolute train wreck. They got rolled by Florida State 27-2 to 2 coming into this game, and it was surprisingly competitive. They lost 15-29, a late late first half score uh, made it 12-7 in favor of Alabama. So the Gators battled hard for the opening 30. We sort of see a similar uh, shades of that coming into this year where Florida State dominates their ga- those Gators and then they have to play Alabama. Um, for one thing Florida can do immediately to improve their odds of winning this game is I was looking at the box score against the Knowles. Uh, They went 0 for 12 on third down, and I don't care if you're the New England Patriots playing a Division II team. If you go 0 for on third down, it's putting yourself in a hard spot to win. So that's one thing McIlwain can can work on is figuring out how to uh, solve the riddle on third down. That'll put them in better shape to make it competitive, but uh, it's tough to see the Gators doing much more than being competitive. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really rough weekend for the Gators. But let's move on to the ACC title game in what is expected to be another blowout, uh, not quite to the level of Alabama, Florida, but Clemson, uh, Clemson versus Virginia Tech. The number three Tigers are uh, being led by Deshaun Watson, who has really come on here late in the season, still having a little bit of trouble with turnovers. He's throwing more than one a game, but um, – He still is, uh, you know, one of the most prolific passers in the country. So uh, I really – I don't see a lot of chance for Virginia Tech here, but, you know, what can they do, Josh, in order to uh, take down uh, the uh, the reigning national runner-up? 
Well, honestly, they can just do what North Carolina did last year, and that is the Tar Heels knew they were out of the tournament, knew they weren't playing for anything other than themselves and pride, and Clemson had all the expectations and all the pressure of needing to win to make the playoffs. And what happened? It was a really competitive game. There was the onside kick, a little bit of some questionable finish. Tar Heels gave it a go, and Virginia Tech has the same same advantage where they can go out there and not give a rat's ass and just play some ball. Uh, Jared Evans has had a really nice season with over 3,000 passing yards, 26 touchdowns. We know that if Clemson has a weakness, their defense has been struggling at times. So maybe Evans goes out, has himself a day, and we see something like a few weeks ago when, when Pitt got the better of Clemson, 43-42 in a barn burner. Um, I think Virginia Tech has a better chance of winning than Florida does, just based on how Clemson's had erratic defense this year. And like I said, the Hokies can just go out there and play pressure-free football. Um, but yeah, Clemson should be the favorite for a reason. But it wouldn't, like, I've seen crazy things in football. If I were to find out Virginia Tech beat Clemson, I would not be Florida. Clemson has had a very erratic season. Yeah, I mean, you look at the NC State game where it was way tighter than it should have been. Uh, you look at the Pitt game where they had it won and they gave it away. Uh, Deshaun Watson having uncharacter- uncharacteristic turnovers in that one. Um, the thing going for Virginia Tech is if they can get Clemson in the third down, uh, Virginia Tech ranks third among Power 5 teams in third down defense. They uh, they allow they have a conversion rate of 26.8%. So, um and with this game being in Orlando, um, another fun fact is Clemson has won four straight and five of its last six in the great state of Florida. Um, so, and that's including uh, going down to the Doke and taking down the Seminoles. So, um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting for Virginia Tech. I think they need to buckle up their seatbelts here, and um, it's going to be a crazy ride. I think Clemson, uh, for all the inconsistencies they've had throughout the season. I think they finished the season really strong. Um, I mean, last week against South Carolina, uh, they put down any sort of threat uh, to a upset really quick. They jumped out to, I think it was a 31 nothing first quarter lead or something like that. It was, I mean, it was, I felt, it got to a point where I felt bad for South Carolina. I don't usually feel bad for South Carolina because um, they are uh, one of, of six they're one of six of Georgia's rivals. So I typically don't feel bad for South Carolina, um, but I really did feel bad. Mike Williams is a huge, is a really big threat. He caught three touchdowns. Wayne Gallman, um, he's, he's kind of woken up a little bit. Um, and so their defense, uh, their second nationally in tackles for loss and fourth overall in sacks. So they're uh, Brent Venables as a, uh, candidate for the Broyles, uh, finalist for the Broyles Award. So I, I just – I have a hard time seeing Virginia Tech not getting beaten down. But then again, like Josh said, I wouldn't be surprised if they made this thing a game and, and came out on top. It just depends on, you know, Deshaun Watson was probably a little bit more of a roller coaster this year than he's ever been. So it's going to be kind of which Deshaun shows up, the one from last week or the one that showed up against – uh, Pitt and NC State. Oh, right. Yeah, I, well, I was going to say the thing that's weird about the Hokies is I was, I was for the show. I was look at their schedule, 
and trying to see how it played out. And all three of their losses are just very, very bizarre. They lost in a NASCAR uh, stadium against Tennessee when Tennessee was full strength and we expected big things. They have the emotional hurricane victory at North Carolina and then have the obvious trap game at Syracuse before they host Miami. And so they lost that weird game up at Syracuse that was just sandwiched in a perfect time for the trap game. And then they lost to Georgia Tech, who is a nice team and and runs that crazy triple option that's hard to to get up for. And I had mentioned that Bud Foster's defense has struggled with it in the past. So all three of their losses are – just very, very bizarre. And then they had the nice wins at Pitt. They dominated Miami. They just obliterated BC. This Hokie team has had some nice wins outside of just three strange weeks. Yeah, it's, it's been a really up-and-down week for them. But, you know, it should be considered a pretty big success in Justin Fuentes' first season. So um, let's, we need to move to the Pac-12 Uh title game here because I have to get going soon, unfortunately, but we will talk quick about Colorado and Washington. Uh, Washington, obviously the favorite here, but Colorado's defense, man, they can play with the best of them and they're going to have to shut down uh, Jake Browning, Justin Ross, and the rest of that Husky attack. Josh, will they they be able to do it? Well, I don't know if they'll be able to pull off the win, but... um... But before the season, Jim Levitt uh, was asked about the defense, and he said it was a championship-caliber defense. And up to this point, they've proven that. They've gotten to the title game. Um, I just I just can't see Jake Browning not getting the job done. Um, you know, he, it's just a different animal with him. And I know Washington State has a nice passing attack, and, and Colorado handled them, but Jake Browning has – over 3,100 yards. He has 40 touchdowns. He's gone through the entire season with a QBR of 5.2. I've never seen someone in the zone like this. And what is crazy is Washington is super balanced because they have Miles Gaskin. They run such a pro-style attack that it's tough for Colorado and tough for any defense to really clue in on how they are going to handle it. Do you shut down the running or do you shut down the passing? Because Peterson's just going to go in the opposite direction of whatever you lock on to shut down. So I love Colorado. I've loved them all year. But this feels like the end of the run because Washington is just a different animal. Yeah. Hey, yes. Uh, I, I think I'll be real quick with this. Washington, they bring Buda Baker, Elijah Qualls. Um, and I think Jake Browning is going to be too much for, uh, for Colorado to handle. Um, as much as Colorado's done well, um, I just think it's going to be kind of one of those uh, deals where they're just kind of running up against the buzzsaw. So um, Washington's won six straight game in this series. Um they uh, the two teams rank one and two in pack in the Pac-12 in turnover margin, so that's interesting. And the Huskies have an advantage on special teams as well, with Dante Pettis uh, and Ross combining with for three return touchdowns. And so, uh, 
you gotta you gotta look at that as well. But um, I know I won't uh, get too much into this preview, but I think Washington's gonna win pretty comfortably here. Well, our final game of the weekend is uh, where game day will be, and that is in Indianapolis, where the number six Wisconsin Badgers, champions of the Big Ten West, take on the very surprising number seven Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, it's a, you know, the line is Wisconsin by two and a half, which means it's basically a toss-up. Uh, but, Josh, who's got the upper hand? Well, the big thing that is curious for me before I answer who has the upper hand is the health of these two teams. We saw Hornibrook get hurt against Minnesota, and we saw Saquon Barkley against Michigan State get uh, leg, his ankle uh, got tweaked a little bit. So those are two big pieces that are a little bit of a – uh, cause for concern. Um, Wisconsin hasn't really played mobile quarterback to the degree of Trent Sorley. Uh, they got it with JT Barrett. Um, we saw what happened that game. They got a little bit of it with Mitch Leidner a week ago, but for the most part, they haven't had to take on a very mobile quarterback, and that is always my concern is how a very, very aggressive defense will handle taking on a Penn State team. Uh, that has traded sorely. I love the Wisconsin defense, and I would love to ride in the battle with that. But Penn State has just been so improved since that Michigan game. They got Ohio State. They destroyed Iowa. They've been just obliterating teams since the Ohio State close call, which they won the upset at home, but they destroyed Purdue, Iowa, Indiana, Rutgers, Michigan State. They just lay waste to them, and McSorley is just a different animal. I am going to be rooting my ass off for the Badgers, as you know, Matt, but I am highly nervous about this game. I'm a little surprised that the ESPN FPI has Wisconsin favored 54-46. to I'm a little bit surprised that Wisconsin is favored because Penn State has just been on a roll, and I'm highly nervous, and I think Penn State's going to win. As disappointed as that'll be. Coach, you got anything to add there? Yeah, just just kind of thinking about this game. The one thing that concerns me is Alex Hornbrook being questionable um, coming into this game. Um, but Saquon Barkley sprained his ankle also, so he comes in all beat up. Um, McSorley is just turned the corner as far as being an elite quarterback. I think. I mean, he, he has uh, 376 yards and four touchdowns last week. He's, I mean, he's just he's distributing the ball. Saeed Blacknall, Deshaun Hamilton um, are the best receiving duo in the conference. You have defensively, you have Brandon Bell, um, who had 18 tackles last week, and Jason Cabdina. Um, they return from early season injuries. Um, they're 20th in total defense, so they're not really missing Bob Shoot too too much. Brent Pry's done a tremendous job there for the Nittany Lions, um, and they they haven't yielded a touchdown in the last two games. Think about that. They've shut out their last two opponents, and granted, their last two opponents I think have combined uh, to win negative three games. When you talk about Rutgers and Michigan State, but um, you know, that's, that's kind of what Penn State has going for them. Uh, Wisconsin, you know, they bring in Corey Clement. Uh, Hornerbrook is, is uh, doubtful with a uh, – or questionable with a concussion. Um, 
But, uh, you know, if he's, if he's there, if he's for some reason able to play, I think that ups their chances. But defensively, you know, for, for Wisconsin, that's, gonna, that's what's going to keep them in, in this game. T.J. Watt has nine and a half sacks, 13 tackles for loss. Sejourn Shelton has 16 passes um, broken up with four interceptions. Um, he led the FBS in interceptions, actually, uh, with, uh, you know, with uh, 21 there and uh, ranked third in scoring defense. Uh, 13.7. And Wisconsin led the led not not Shelton, but Wisconsin. Shelton had 21 picks. That would be uh, quite yeah. impressive. He would get a contract right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, who are you taking? I'm taking I'm taking Penn State. It's going to be closer than the the blowout that everybody's expecting. Um, I think Penn State's going to win by a touchdown here. I think it's going to be kind of a 31-24 type game. Wisconsin's going to have a chance to win it late. Um, but I don't think I, th- I don't think they're going to quite do it uh, there. Um, I'm be rooting like heck uh, to be wrong. I'm, I'm I'm putting on my Wisconsin hat this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm gonna join you guys and become an honorary Badger. Um, Will adopt you, Coach. I, I, I think uh, I think doing two seasons of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast allows me to be an honorary Badger. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit on the Hornbrook situation. I think Hornbrook being out is a blessing in disguise. This team has been way better with Houston under center uh, than the last month, quite frankly. And I think he gives them a better chance to win. He can run the ball a little bit. He's a really athletic guy. He's got a little more zip on his passes. Not quite as accurate, but I, I think he's actually at this point might be what this team needs. Uh, what's really going to come down to, though, Wisconsin's defensive line. They just got nose tackle, Olive Segapolu back and he uh Penn State has not played a team that plays a true uh nose guard this entire season uh Wisconsin will be the first one and that 3-4 defense uh is really crazy Penn State offensive line better than last year still not um where they probably really want to be I think Wisconsin can dominate the line of scrimmage uh, at least when Penn State has the ball and the Wisconsin Badgers are going to win a close one 19 to 14. So um, that is going to you know what's you know what's really interesting about this game just a very oddball thing both Wisconsin and Penn State have played in an NFL stadium this year Wisconsin had the neutral site in quotations up in Green Bay against LSU and Penn State traveled to Heinz Field to take on Pittsburgh huh interesting and now they're both playing in another one in Indianapolis yeah it's very bizarre. Interesting. Well, that's going to have to do it for us today here on our championship preview uh, for the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So, on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting in Chicago, Josh Cook, this is the professor, Matt Perkins in Los Angeles, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Championship! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.